And welcome to Legacy Week Part 2, Episode 2. The Lost Boys is our topic for Legacy Week this month. And we have Brian C. Tyler, Eric Scott Tyler, Sean Henderson, our consummate co-hosts, are on today to discuss and get a, give us a full breakdown of the entire film of 1987's The Lost Boys. The first episode was an Origins episode. We kind of broke down the cast, the crew how everyone got cast, uh, you know, everything leading up to the filming of this historic, legendary film from Warner Brothers that came out in the summer of 1987. This week is its 33rd birthday. It came out on July 31st, 1987. So when episode three drops, when we're doing our testimonial slash fan talk episode to wrap up Legacy Week, that will coincide with the 33rd birthday anniversary of 1987's The Lost Boys, directed by Joel Schumacher. Gentlemen, say hello and welcome to Legacy Week, The Lost Boys. Hello. Happy to be here. Hey. (laughs) Brian almost came apart with fucking Sean's goddamn... Why'd you sound like Ron G from fucking How I Met Your Mother, Sean? I don't know. Hello! Um, anyway, welcome to Legacy Week. Here we are. We're breaking down the entire film. We're going to have you guys kind of speak, uh, give your own little testimonial on episode three as well. Sneak preview. We're going to record that after we are done recording this. Uh, but yes, so right now we're going to break down the entire film. Uh, what scenes grossed you out? What scenes turned you on? What made you Red Rocket? What made you Blue Pocket? Everything. The kit, the caboodle, everything under the sun, everything under the moon, everything in the ocean, everything the Lost Boys. So, this movie runs one hour, 37 minutes, and some spare change. And goddamn, if this isn't my favorite movie, I don't know what is. It is my favorite movie of all time. Now, I guess... To uh, to uh, to start this, you know, uh, without trying to get into kind of any kind of fa- testimonial slash fan talk yet, when was the first time each of you saw this? Do you remember an age? Do you remember a time period? Let's hear it. The nineties, sometime in the nineties. Yeah, like I had already seen it since I can remember. It, and I I kind of touched upon this in the first episode. This is one of those films that was just around you so much that you can't even really truly pinpoint the first time you saw it because it had always been in your orbit. Yeah, it's almost like I just instinctually knew The Lost Boys. It, it's, it's like how a cat just knows how to use a litter box. It, yeah, it's like it's comparable. It's comparable to having it be you know if you were a follower of Christ and in the Bible everyone knows say I don't know john 316 or whatever that's the only one i can think of so it, it's like that it's like being a, a follower 
It's like being a follower of the Christian religion, of any kind of uh, religion, and knowing a story within the big book of that religion. But our big book of religion is movies. And huge chapters, the First Testament, what do they call it? The Old Testament. The Old Testament is horror movies. And the New Testament is everything else. Okay. I like this metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) So, one of the big parts of, uh, you know, our Bible, at least my Bible, The Lost Boys is a huge chapter in that Bible. So, uh, Brian, you're kind of on the same wavelength with me. I don't remember a time where I hadn't seen it. I remember being just a little piece of shit running around in a big oversized shirt, loving this film before a long, you know, couple presidential terms before I had hair on the nuts. So, uh, Eric, Sean, when did uh, when did you guys, do you remember a first time watching this, uh, or, or at least a time period? Uh, I mean, I don't know, like an age, so probably like, you know, like maybe 12, right around that time. I think the first time I ever actually uh, saw the film was uh, on television, which is funny because I feel like a lot of these movies we speak about uh, – you know, back in the day, I feel like I saw him on TV first, which is kind of a, I don't know. I just feel like um, maybe they showed a lot cooler stuff on TV back in the day. But uh, definitely television was the first time I saw it. And then, um, to be honest, I was right around uh, 11 or 12, probably the first time I, I ever saw it. And I was I was blown away by, uh, um, well, I first, you know, I knew that I liked horror at a young age. And uh, this movie, just everything about it stylistically, and uh, it was creepy as hell, and uh, Kiefer uh, delivers such a great performance. But there's a, without getting too deep, there's a there's a there's a certain part of this movie that's uh, stuck with me even uh, to now, which I'm 35 years old, which I'll, I'll delve into. Uh, so this movie actually left a, a lasting impact, good and bad, I will say. Nice. Now, how about you, Sean? Did we lose him? Sean? Yeah, give him one second. He fell off the bridge. <laughs> I, I went outside to do the podcast because I was losing reception inside my house. Oh, gotcha. So, Sean, when was the first time you remember seeing this? Uh, to be honest, I actually don't remember. I remember it was, like, it was always on TV a lot, but... I think, like, I truly remember, like, sitting down watching it. It had to be, like, 14, 15. Okay. Uh, most likely probably with Brian and you hanging out. Nice. Well, all right. So uh, so we all pretty much, it's been with us for, for a, a while, to say the least. Some of, some of us, it, 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 we can't remember a time when it hasn't been in our orbit. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it, let's dive right in. So, this movie, directed by Joel Schumacher, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher, obviously, kind of talked about it in the first episode, but just want to uh, reiterate that, uh, you know, we just lost Joel Schumacher, unfortunately, um, and uh, yeah, he's going to be sorely missed, but if anything, we can uh, we can celebrate him and uh, pay homage to him by uh, celebrating what I, I think is one of his favorite films that he did, and certainly my favorite film that he's done, so... Rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Let's kick into The Lost Boys. So, the opening scene to this is the boardwalk scene. 
And I love this scene. Uh, I think it's a it's a very ominous way to open the boardwalk. You can immediately see the style in the film. We see the Lost Boys. Uh, Alex Winter as Marco. Billy Worth as Dwayne. Brick McCarter as uh, Lost Boy Paul. And then, of course, Kiefer with that uh, memorable haircut and some of the best uh, wardrobe in all of film ever. Uh for these guys and uh they're on the merry-go-round they get into it with this skunk haircut guy i i, I refer to him affectionately as skunk slash comic thief uh because uh they get into it with him we see uh the hounds of hell have made an appearance um and uh the cop you know classic get off the boardwalk you too off the boardwalk uh and then we see uh a lot of we, what we see in this film, and I think you guys can uh, you can talk about this as well, are the scenes where they're doing a POV shot of the Lost Boys, the vampires flying. And I love those shots. Uh, they're crane shots, and they are, uh, they're really awesome. Seeing the overview of them watching the cop walk to his car as the boardwalk shutting down. Some uh, some great uh, visuals that uh, Michael Chapman, the DOP, got of this. Yeah, those... Those shots used to creep me out a little. Yeah, actually. yeah. That opening yeah, scene would creep me out. The cop and then the yeah, those like above shots are really rad. Now you said they shot those with a crane. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool. I bet I, I'd imagine if they did it nowadays, it'd be like probably like a drone or something like that. But oh, oh yeah. And, uh, and you see it from that angle also when they rip the car off when they rip the top of someone's car, correct? Uh, nope, uh, this is, well, that isn't until a little bit after. That's after the comic's stolen a little bit later on. Right, right, but I mean, like, that's, uh, they do the same thing. Are you, uh, hey, hey, uh, is your connection all right, Eric? You're, you got scrambled there for a second. Uh, yeah, I mean. You're good, you're good now, you sound good now. Uh, but yeah, so the, the cop gets lifted up. Yeah, obviously, he sees them coming after him, and they, they something I thought was cool is he grabbed his door handle, and you immediately see the power of the what whatever, you know, obviously, we all know this is a vampire flick, but, you know, whatever grabbed him, we notice immediately that there's severe power because they ripped his entire door off with him. And, uh... And then we get the uh, we get the title credits in alphabetical order, but we get that crane shot flying over the beach, over the ocean with that um the title sequence which is the logo the uh the title logo which is pretty memorable i've seen bands rip it off and uh that gentleman unfortunately passed away not too long ago anthony goldschmidt is the title designer and uh i think that's uh it's pretty uh a pretty memorable you know movie font too the upper uh, lowercase uppercase uh uh, title I, I always loved and it's very d- distinct too definitely iconic for sure and uh so we're getting the the titles uh over here and people are able to see you know jamie gertz someone who joel schumacher didn't think he was going to be able to get for this because she had just won an academy award he was shocked that she uh she agreed to it to play uh mama emerson i don't know if what her maiden name was we never talked about what her maiden name was but lucy uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, we get introduced to Michael and Sam, uh, not formally, but briefly in the car, and we see that they have just moved 
to Santa Carla, the murder capital of the world, written on the back of the billboard. Obviously, it was going to be Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz obviously didn't like the moniker of uh, being called murder capital of the world. Right. Which at the time, crime was uh, up in Santa Cruz, and that was something that they were trying to, uh, you know, obviously the authorities were trying to alleviate that. So obviously if you came out with a movie that was calling, you know, a, a city that was uh, slowly becoming very crime-ridden, the murder capital of the world, that's probably not good pub for uh, for the city of Santa Cruz. So mm-hmm. they make the fictional town of Santa Carla as the murder capital of the world. Very um, well, is that is that the reason why they didn't use Santa Cruz? Is because like the whatever authorities of Santa Cruz told them not to? Yep, or yep. The uh, <clears throat> the city city hall had a real issue with uh, calling it the murder capital of the world and things like that. So they were had already got their shooting locations and their permits for everything in Santa Cruz. So they weren't going to change obviously where they were going to shoot. So they just you know fictionalized it as uh, Santa Carla. Gotcha. That's interesting. Seems like some places wouldn't care. They would just want their name, uh, their city to be showcased. But it's pretty interesting that they refuse to, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah. But like you said, with the murder capital of the world, I guess uh, they probably frowned upon that. But uh, we get, a, we get a, a montage with all the credits and everything like that. And we quickly see uh, some dynamics develop a little bit. Lucy's obviously offering Sam, say, hey, go over there and get those those poor hippie kids a hot dog. Michael's looking for a job. Uh, you know, just uh, you can see that, you know, they're, they're diving right into Santa Carla. They're trying to they're, get their feet planted. And uh, we roll up. We roll up into Grandpa's house. Now, this is uh, really just as far as a setting. And, I, and you can find this house on Google Maps and everything. And it looks very similar to what it was when it was shot. And it's in uh, rural outskirts of uh, of Southern California, and uh, and it was actually a horse farm. So uh, I, I'm not sure. I couldn't find anything on the horses because Grandpa does own horses. When you see Michael unloading his uh, motorcycle, there's horses running around, and they don't even really touch upon Grandpa even having horses. So like, does does Grandpa just randomly have a couple horses? <laughs> I don't just... think I've ever noticed. That. Yeah, because you remember when they when they steal the car too later on in the film when they're stealing the car and driving to the cave, Grandpa's putting up new posts for the horse fence. I. Yes. There's so much going on. You miss those little things that Grandpa I had horses. I can visualize that. I can't visualize the horses. That's so weird. But uh, we immediately yeah. we, we immediately get uh, Grandpa's sense of humor when he's playing <laughs> dead on the fucking porch too. Oh, Grandpa! Mm-hmm. Yeah, he steals the show. And I think throughout the entire film, he yeah, he's uh, Bernard Hughes just re- ki- it killed it, and you could tell throughout the entire film. And I'm gonna bring up the points as as we come across them. And you guys throw out any of your tidbits or any feelings on any of the stuff that as we're as we're scrolling through. But uh, Grandpa, throughout the whole film, you could tell he just knows shit too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love that they played it like that. They didn't play him like you know the grandfather that's constantly like urging him he seems like someone that knows that there's vampires in santa carla but he's just like well yeah they're a problem but Nothing do not do touch my du- double thick oreo cookies or my root beer <laughs> floats um but i love that that whole setting 
and their location they found for that house and everything inside it. I know some of the stuff inside it, especially anything where it was like the bigger shots was on a soundstage, but they did shoot inside the house a little bit. And I just thought it was amazing. What did you, what did you guys think of the house? I thought the house was really creepy for what it was too. They, they compared it to Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. in the movie. Yeah, exactly. That was pretty accurate. It reminded me of that. It reminded me of the, the house in Salem's lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with that. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was perfect, and I think the way they, like, I think the character of Grandpa, it's like the perfect. If you were gonna pick a, like a little house for him, it would be like the exact thing. It's exactly what you would draw up in your mind. So. so, so this guy is super complex. One, he's got horses. He's like an ex hippie because he's got pot in the windowsill, <laughs> and he's also a taxidermist. He's got a taxidermist <laughs> room. He's got all kinds of hobbies. Brought you something to dress up your room with, Sam. Uh, just, just, uh, just—he's really out there. And of course, he's got—he's uh, got rules. We got rules around here, and uh, you know, no one touches the second shelf but me. It's where I keep my double thick Oreo cookies and my my root beers and my double thick Oreo cookies. Uh, so grandpa has pretty much given them a rundown of what to do and what not to do. Now, when the mailman brings the TV guide on, on Wednesdays, the address label will be curled up just a little bit. Now you'll be tempted to tear that off, but don't You only <laughs> wind up ripping the cover. And I don't like that. Just like that. Like, I don't know if that was written or if that was improv, but it was just like so perfect. And it was like. It was, like, true to, like, life. I feel like I could picture a grandfather saying that to their grandsons that are moving in with them. Uh, that's totally something Tony would have done to me growing up as a kid. A.K.A. Sean's grandfather. So that's, yeah, yeah like, it, it's totally very, uh, you know, it didn't feel manufactured in, like, a Hollywood sense. It felt very real. So those little dynamics really round this, like, family off. And, and we get Lucy is obviously, uh, before this, you know, we get the breakdown, you know, you're the only one I know that didn't improve her situation by getting a divorce. Like, so she's obviously divorced. They're from Phoenix, Arizona, implanted to the murder capital of the world, Santa Carla. So we're getting the whole breakdown. And obviously her father is a little more hard nosed, but is a saint, just like Lucy, right? Letting him come right in the house. And, but he wants him to stay out of the taxidermist room, which that room is super creepy. And it's very, you know, I don't know if it was meant to be foreshadowing-ish, but when you see, when they look in there and they see, like, the antlers and all that shit, you know, it was really, it's cool that, like, once you see the movie so many times, you you see that and you're like, oh, that's a little foreshadowing of that what that room's going to have in store for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely foreshadowing. Yeah, I always love that. Uh, and... We quickly, you know, get, you know, Sam's going through comics. Michael's lifting weights. Uh, there's no fucking MTV, of course. Uh, so they're going to mix in. They're going to mix in with the locals. And we get maybe the best body in the history of the world for Tim Capella. Playing, I still believe, at the grandstand in Santa Carla. Let's talk about this, because we all got something to say about this. Maybe the greatest musical performance in any movie ever. <laughs> one of the greatest musical performances in a movie ever. One of the greatest styles of a, uh, a musician ever. Just like uh, a fucking... The body of, uh, <laughs> I mean, 
of a giant. I mean, he should he should have made a WCW run back in the day. Oh yeah, he definitely looks uh, like he could have been working out at the power plant. I oh, love yeah, a he good saxophone. Had a career if he wanted now, to, but he turned it down. He turned it. He was a touring saxophonist and pianist for Tina Turner for years. That was where he made kind of his bread and butter. And obviously he's 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 maintained himself as uh the man who sung I Still Believe in Lost Boys all these years later because he's still he's still Jackarood. He's still he's still fucking the man because he's tan. And uh, but we get introduced uh, to did anybody ever at any point get aroused during the Tim Capella I Still Believe Grandstand <laughs> performance? Oh, I, I get hard every time. I'm gonna say no, but uh, Sean definitely did. Did anybody oh. know his, notice his wild-haired, like pink-haired, punky guitarist who's a chick? No, yeah. I did not notice. Yeah, see those little things you miss because you're so drawn to those really dark purple tan nipples of Tim Capella. I've just never <laughs> seen anyone like do those moves while playing the saxophone and while being jacked and sweaty. He was definitely baby oiled up for to sure. To be fair, everyone was probably sweaty. They just weren't all like muscly and shirtless. Yeah. You know, that's it's pretty true. hot in Santa Carla. You damn right. So we get introduced. Obviously, this looks like the fucking New York State grandstand fucking performance. Uh, it might as well. You would have thought if you know if we didn't see sand or palm trees or anything like that, you would probably think that fucking Ario was up next and fucking you know coming out of the grandstand, but in, in Syracuse, but. Uh, we get introduced to star Jamie Gertz. Now, Jamie Gertz got the role because Jason Patrick referred her, because they were in a movie the year prior in Solar Babies, referred her to Joel. And Joel, obviously, he convinced Jason Patrick to uh, to take the role. It took weeks of convincing, but he did it. Uh, but we see, you know, Michael discover star in the crowd and is immediately drawn to her. Now, do you guys did you guys ever think that that was kind of like that vampiric, like, even if she wasn't like intentionally doing it, like he was drawn to her because of like the vampiric vibe of her. I think he just, I think he just dug her vibe. I don't know if there was anything supernatural about it. Yeah, I think so too. A lot, lots of, lots of eighties movies had a guy noticing a girl from across yeah, yeah. the room, and then to be honest, being kind of creepy and. That's no, it's only creepy now though. I have I have conversations with Bridget all about uh, rewatching the movie last night. Just like just fine tuning anything extra I wanted to talk about. Let me say this. Go ahead. It'd be creepy if he wasn't attractive. Yeah, yeah, but because he's hot, you know, another hot person liking another hot person by the standards of uh, 1987. Yeah, but regardless. I had to explain that to Bridget. She, because she said last night when we were watching, she was just like, "Why is he staring at her? That's super creepy." And then he's just following her. He's just gonna leave his brother and follow her. But I mean, it, it is I, weird. I had, to, think yeah, about it. it's weird now in the context of twenty twenty. But I had I to keep. It was weird I, then. No, but it was okay because it was like a movie, and they were attractive people. Yeah, but also people think would think it was weird if you just walked up to somebody and asked for their number nowadays. It but, would... sorry, Go you ahead. cut into me a lot, so I'm actually not going to feel bad. Go ahead. Um, she was signaling him, kind of, right? With her, with her face expressions? 
she was still looking at him while she was kind of going away. So it was definitely a little cat and mouse. It was a little mutual. A little, yeah. little sexy cat and mouse going on, it wasn't right, Sean? Creepy. Yeah, sure. It was like a come get thing. <laughs> I was making sure you were still there. So, <laughs> so uh, he's, he's, he's just got that scene in his head. He can't get it out of. So, Mike, we got uh, we got you know the fox and the old hound just going after that Jamie Gertz boot. I'm saying, you know, Star is a tall fox, so I don't blame the guy. She is a fox, and Michael's the hound. What did she got win an right. Academy Award for? It? No, did I say Jamie Gertz? I meant Diane Weist is uh, was just won an Academy Award. Oh, okay. What'd she win it for? I don't know. Do we know? She could have won it for anything. Yeah, she obviously is a very storied. Uh, but uh, we cut to Lucy, and Lucy sees uh, Lucy's out on the job hunt. You know, Lucy's out on the job hunt. She sees uh, the cop's presumed wife hanging the missing poster. I always thought that was a nice little tidbit. Uh, the cops, uh, missing picture getting hung on the, the bill on the, you know, bulletin board at the, uh, boardwalk. Everyone noticed that of course, right? For sure. Yes. Yeah. Just making sure. Cause I know sometimes, you know, I'll watch movies and I'll, I'll, I'll fall, I'll be in love with a movie for years and years and years. And I always find little things. I just wanted to make sure everyone, uh, had that. But so, uh, Lucy winds up in Max's, uh, video store, video Max. And we have it all. The best selection of videotapes in Santa Carla. And uh, you know, we there's see... actually uh, one copy of The Goonies in that video store? Yes, there is. Obviously, uh, Dick Donner homage. Dick Donner producing it. Obviously, Warner Brothers film. All all relative, of course. Um, and also breaking that kind of odd dimension. Because Corey Feldman's in this movie. But he's also in the movie The Goonies. And it's... Uh, some fun stuff going on. So something I know BT is going to be excited to talk about. We do see one of the one of the two small non-vocal appearances by Kelly Jo Minter as the video store clerk. Who her scene with Lucy, where Lucy's kind of getting trained by her uh, Maria. Her name is, uh, and she actually is at the beginning of the title credit. She's credited in alphabetical order, so she gets like a. A nice credit at the beginning of the film too, albeit she doesn't have any speaking roles in the in the cut of the film. But there's the deleted scene where you see her kind of training Lucy and things like that. Uh, but you know we see the Lost Boys come in and kind of are walking around, uh, and I think uh, Paul comments again in in the context. Of, sorry, in the context of 2020, very creepy. We're only here to watch one thing while they're staring at Kelly Joe Minter. Creepy in 2020, not creepy in 87. Discuss. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the world is a different place now, for sure. You can't Plus, just... I, I, still, I still stare at girls like that. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to lower your criminal profile on this podcast, Sean. Yeah, huh? don't blame him too hard, folks. He, he knows not what he does. But, yes, uh, so her scenes were unfortunately cut, but we see... Uh, I think we kind of, like, with everything that goes on in this film, we kind of lose how cool it is that Max is a fucking owner of a video store. That's pretty cool, I guess. I mean... I mean, if you thinking about what you would want to do, I mean, you wouldn't want to own a video store on a boardwalk well, in Santa Cruz? How, how I would wish someone... <laughs> I just wish someone cooler was owning it. Oh. Wait. Wait, we can... Obviously, you're not listening to this unless you've seen it. Um... Do you think she takes over the video store since he's dead now? That would be great. Yeah. 
That's what we should have gotten in a sequel. That's what we actually should have got. Lucy's running the video store. Yes. Kelly Jo Minter is... She's there, too. She's there, too. <laughs> uh, but, yes. But, uh, anyway. So, uh, Edward Herman obviously doesn't play, like, the Jerry Dandridge type, like, sexy vampire. He's kind of a dweeb. He's a big, tall, goofy, fucking Haverchuck dweeb. But, yeah, well, yeah. but he's still sexy in his own way. You know, he okay. runs a video store. So, they're getting... She's getting the goods. Okay, Jesse. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> no, I, I mean, mean if you're if you're into that, you're into that. That's cool. Um, he's got cool. He's got cool glasses and the kind he of. He cool does. Haircut. But we we don't suspect he's a vampire anyway, so they couldn't make him all. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to say he's not sexy because I don't want to. It's that's know, rel- that yeah that's all preference and, and relative. Yeah, he is tall. That's your preference. He's all he is tall. He owns a video store. I mean. Yeah. I kind of want to date him right now. Um, but yeah, so video Max. So, uh, you know, again, uh, but Max finds her. Max sees her helping a, a lost child and gives her a sucker. Again, creepy. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well done. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, so there's a lot of creepiness that would, again, not creepy in 87, but creepy in 2020. Can I just say? say that i used to like when i was a kid i wanted to be like in these scenes I, did you I want, want the, well, you wanted want, the sucker no i wanted to be on a boardwalk oh yeah and, it's and have there be a video store and a comic book store and... so so i kind of talked about this with um with the uh, the fine folks on the ready to retro podcast when i was talking about um three ninjas with them and uh that was, uh, and that's coming out this Friday, actually. So uh, you can uh, you can dive into that. It's ready to retro uh, on Anchor, iTunes, uh, Spotify. Good folks there. Um, and I mentioned it to them. You know, growing up on the East Coast, you know, it was I was very fascinated at a young age with like movies that were shot in California and looked. You know, you thought about you know, oh, it seems like a completely different world, and it is to to a certain extent. So there was always that, you know. That uh, that thinking, you know, what's it like there? I want to be on the boardwalk. I want to be, you know, in the suburbal Southern California setting with the three fucking ninjas. I've never heard suburbal before. Now you have. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so BT wants a sucker. Kelly Jo Minter, unfortunately, her scenes got taken out. Max owns the video store. He's tall. He's sexy. Well, that... I never said I wanted a sucker. I just want to be on a board. <laughs> <laughs> you want a sucker. Uh, I'd take one. So Le- Lucy's out. You know, this is 87. There's no fucking Craigslist. There's no goddamn Indeed. She's got to go out and rub her elbows right on Max's fucking uh, tool chest and see if she can't fucking work under the hood. So, uh, you know. You're, making, you're building that the relationship up to be very sexual, which I don't feel like it was. Are it you? Ki- they were kissing and courting each other. Mm. What do you mean, uh? I mean, yeah, but... Max yeah. is courting her to be Miss Dracula. Well, well, yeah. But you don't find that out till you know. Yeah. I don't think Eric wants to think of Diane Weiss having sex because she's like the mom. 
She's got to get some. She's had it before. Where'd Sam and Michael come from? And We're no getting one, way off into the weeds. No one wants to think of their mom having sex. So Sam wanders into a, a comic store we see owned by, or at least worked at by, uh, the Frog Brothers. We're introduced to the Frog Brothers. Mm-hmm. Alan and Edgar, named after Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar and Alan, the Frog Brothers. Uh, military outcasts. They look like maybe they, they wanted to go to military school, but they just they were too surfery uh, and just couldn't cut it. So uh, Joel gave uh, Corey Feldman, this is obviously mostly well-known, but for people who are just casual fans of the movie, uh, they may not know, uh, Joel Schumacher gave Corey Feldman some Stallone movies, specifically The First Bloods and Missing in Action by Chuck Norris, and said, be this guy. And it came off great because the character, you know, Edgar Frog ta- and Alan Frog, for that matter, take themselves seriously, but it comes off as funny because they take themselves serious as soon-to-be-revealed vampire hunters. Yes. And they're just 15, 16-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, uh, it's very... Interesting and, and fun dynamic between Sam and them to start. Sam's obviously bitching because they got, you know, the Batman number. He's looking for a Batman number 14. They got the fucking Superman 300s in with the 8s and and uh, a bunch of shit. I, um, I, butt in and, and, I want you to. You got to butt in. Sean's asleep. You're fucking still worked up about Max and Lucy. We got to get this going. <laughs> well, I just- I just wanted to touch on the comic book stuff a little bit because obviously, you know, the comic book fan, but what I found out doing some research is the, the uh, comic book that Max, or, or not Max, Sam. Max, I apologize for that, that Sam, the Vampire is Everywhere comic that he has in the, in the film, that comic was actually made specifically for this movie. It's not a real comic. Really? And I, and I was reading that uh, the comic book store... Um, that this was at, like, it's still around, and they still have a copy of that, and apparently it's signed by a bunch of the cast members. Wow. Apparently you can go in there and, like, take a picture with it or whatever. I just I read, like, this whole thing about that, so I thought that was really cool. Now, did you apparently, just, is that, like, out of, uh, like, curiosity to see what, like, the Batman number 14 was? Well, I'm talking, not, not the Batman one. I'm talking about the Vampires Everywhere. Oh, the Vampire Everywhere. The Vampires yeah, Everywhere comic. Okay, yeah, okay. not the Batman one, but... Uh, Apparently, like, the comic book store called, like, was called, like, Atlantis Fantasy World or something like that. But I don't know. I just thought that was a really cool tidbit that uh, that comic book was made specifically just for that movie and uh, and that they, they still have that copy. I, I wonder if that was a Joel move. I, I thought you were saying there was no such thing as a Batman number 14 and, <laughs> or something. I was no, so no, confused. I was, that's why I was like, I was like, wow, they fucking got rid of, they got a hold of DC and fucking... <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. You know, Batman like, does fight Dracula, though. He does, yeah. Batman fights everybody. It's great. But, uh, but yeah. So, um, so I wonder if that was a Joel in too, because Joel had so many different weird ends. He was just such a well liked guy, and he was uh, he promised a bunch of bands that appeared on the soundtrack to to uh, direct music videos for them if they appeared on the soundtrack. And they were cutting like the little insider deals like that. So in excess, Michael Hutchins uh, in in excess appeared uh, on uh, two tracks with Jimmy Barnes, who was also an Australian artist, uh, free of charge because Joel promised to uh, direct uh, music videos for them, and he did uh, for in excess. I believe uh, don't change. I think he did. 
that's pretty that cool. Only, is that the only group he did in Seven Four? Uh, I'm not sure if he directed anything else, but and I, I talked about this in the first episode too. Before Joel came on, speaking of music video directing, uh, it was rumored, and it's been rumored several times that Mary Lambert was in talks to do this, and she was a music video director at the time. Mm-hmm. So oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, in her, she ended up making a film right around this time called, uh, Siesta that came out, uh, around the time this came out. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting, uh, as well. Obviously, if anybody's unfamiliar with Mary Lambert, she went on to direct, uh, Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery 2, and she was, uh, well known prior to her film career as, uh, Madonna's go-to director for uh, a lot of her music videos, Material Girl, a few others. Uh, but yeah, uh, regardless. I, I don't... I. She also directed Urban Legends Bloody Mary. There you go. And I just couldn't move on without mentioning that. Yes, thank you. Uh, so the comic store element to this and having the Frog Brothers be like these, like, wannabe, like, military brat, like... Just like mini Rambos is great anyway. So the fact that they work in a comic shop, and I'm not a huge comic guy, but I like the, the not the mystique, but the aesthetic of like a comic book store. I love that that, that is thrown in there and that, that, that Sam happens to be. So they have a kinship as comic, comic friends too. Eric. Eric. It was a really cool tidbit to, to kind of link them up and introduce the Proud Brothers. Wow. It's really cool. Yeah, for sure. What are you doing? I'll be back. Well, Brian got up because you didn't answer when he called your name. So, I want to say also shout out to Alex Winter who has a movie, a major movie coming out in 2020. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> Bill and Ted, uh, Bill and Ted face the music. We're still we're getting an Alex Winter movie, a lead role movie in 2020 theatrical release. We need to appreciate that. Bridget, when you walk back in here, I want you to tell the the listeners why you think Kiefer's hair is bad. I'm on good reason, too. No, hold on. Come by the mic. His hair, we just, everyone here just agreed that his hair is the most badass hair in the film. I didn't say anything. It looked terrible. It didn't look terrible. It did look terrible. If you wouldn't let Kiefer take you out to the fucking movies in 87. No. Well, I wasn't alive in 87. Well, if you were, if you were Star's age. No. Would you let Michael? No, I don't really remember who it is. Michael is fucking Sam's brother. No, because he looked like a 45-year-old man. He okay. Jason Patrick did not look forty-five. Yeah, he really good. Also, what about Marco? Yeah, 
The Lost Boy with the great jacket. <laughs> what about Max, who owned the video store that was trying to F Lucy? He was an actual 45-year-old man. Yeah. What about if you were 18? No. So you think he was a nerd? <laughs> I don't think he was old. Oh, my God. Who'd you want, Grandpa? <laughs> no. Can I admit something? <laughs> what? Besides, da- besides David, that's Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, right? Yeah. I, what the fuck? What are you, stoned? What the fuck are you doing? I did not know any of the Lost Boys' names besides David. I knew Alex Winter, but I always just knew him as Alex Winter. <laughs> you just called and him Lost Boy Alex Winter? I knew the dude with the long, dark hair as the dude, the dude with the long, dark hair. Dwayne, come on. Come on. <laughs> they were come just on. like, you know. What? Am I done? They, yeah, you're done. They were just David's uh, boys to me. Bridget, goodbye. Bye, Bridget. <clears throat> but yes, uh. Fucking, I just can't get over it. Fucking, Jesus Christ. Am I the only one that cared about the hair? I care about the hair. All we right. just went on and talk about the hair. Can we just talk about some of the punk guys in the movie? Uh, IMDb has them listed as surf Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, surf Nazis, one through five. So great. Skunk's, Skunk's name is uh, Alexander Bacon Chapman. Wait. The actor's name, right? Yeah, the actor. Oh, I thought they gave him. That was his actual name of the film. Can you say that name again? Just Greg, but Alexander Bacon Chapman is his name. Bacon? That's great. Yeah, it's both. But he only has three credits to his uh, career, so... But uh, we got we got way off. So we got the Vampires Everywhere comic handed to Sam. You know, pray that you never need to call us. Uh, Skunk steals the fucking comic. We get Star and the Lost Boys. We see that she's gimmicked up with them. And she's, you know, what's going on there? Like, is Star getting passed around? Is she solely David's? David doesn't care if she's still kind of trying to pursue Michael. It's really a weird dynamic here. I think that David's using... He's using her to draw him in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Obviously. I mean, he doesn't want to pass her around, of course. But, yeah, he's using her as... But, like, we don't don't really, like, fully... It it is weird, though, right? Because they let, like... it's It's definitely a strange dynamic. But I'm not a vampire, so... I mean, my woman's my woman. I wouldn't be like, yeah, go lure him in whatever way you can. By any means necessary. Malcolm X style. Uh... But yeah, so uh, so Skunk in the we see Skunk and the girl get theirs. They get the fucking top of the car ripped off, and they get they get manjed. Brian, are you here? Yeah, I'm on the IMDb. Perfect, of the Lost Boys. perfect. So yes, uh, so Skunk and that girl dies. We see fucking Skunk Baking gets fucking ripped out of the car, and then they suck her up too. And then we go to one of my favorite, the small, one of the smallest scenes in the film is still to this day, I think, my fucking favorite. We get grand, Grandpa opening up the garage door and getting in this beautiful car with Sam. <laughs> Sam's fucking so pumped. They're fucking going to take this nice-ass car into the fucking, into quote-unquote town. Fuck <laughs> Grandpa fires up the car. Yeah, I gotta warm her up. Gotta let her warm up a little. Yeah. Okay, let's go to town. <laughs> Shuts the fucking car off. And uh, 
I thought we were going to town. Uh, that's as close to town as I like. <laughs> no, the best part is when he goes, oh, we haven't fought or what? <laughs> Just this character, this character of Grandpa is so endearing and so fucking great. I really think that uh, he steals the show. He's kind of an underrated character. Oh, yeah. Ask, to be honest with you. Steals the fucking show for sure. In, in multiple points in the film. Um, but, uh, so, uh, I, I don't know why I wrote, cause I, I like took, I didn't need to take notes for this film, but I took like a bunch of notes cause I didn't want to, I wanted to thoroughly cover this. I'm glad someone has notes. I, I know this movie front to back. I probably, I could probably, rec- I could recite this movie better than I can the creases on parts of my body. And during this quarantine, I've gotten a few more creases, so that, that's neither here nor there. But uh, for some reason, I wrote the frog. I got <laughs> frogs revealed the the shit. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> I think because I wrote dedic- that they were dedicated to a higher purpose, so they kind of you know they give that to Sam that you know they, you know you really think you know what's going on around here. You know we're dedicated to a higher purpose: truth, justice, the American way. Uh, just, uh, tell me the Frog Brothers aren't the most badass motherfuckers ever. Did anyone else wish they were a Frog Brother? Who did you relate? That's right now, all of us. We've got to pick this up. I feel like Sean's fucking got the exhaust in his car right now. Eric's, Eric's fucking still fucking trying to think about who's Dwayne and who's Marco. I relate the most to Sam because he's the gay little brother. He isn't gay. He's got Molly Ring. No, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. What is more sexual, the picture of Rob Lowe or the picture of Molly Ringwald? I think not. Who do you find more attractive? I think the most sexual thing in the room is the groundhog that Grandpa brings to That's not an answer to the question that I asked. (laughs) Well, listen, we're not jiving into this right now. Even if he was gay, that makes him... I feel like that makes him even... A more, even more intriguing character. I, Doesn't matter no if he's gay. I just said I related to him. <laughs> I just wanted to attack you because you're the gay, you're the gay co-host, and I wanted to attack you for. You see what I was trying to do there? I was trying to turn the tables. Why did you, you attack me? You were trying to make gay I've sound like a bad thing. Time. I know. I'm kidding. But uh, so we see. Uh, so obviously. Did anybody else, I, for some reason, I was an Alan Frog guy growing up. I obviously love Sam because I've just tried to have Corey Hames hair for fucking 33 years of my life. But I was just, I love the Frog Brothers so much. Great characters. Amazing acting for 15, 16 year old kids. Mm. Sean, well, you know where they got their names from? Yeah, they met, you guys mentioned during the beginning of the uh, podcast. Where was it? <laughs> Let's move on. Edgar Allan Poe, Sean, come on. Yeah, well, I figured that part out when I saw it. But yes. I'm an Edgar Frog. Uh, I'm more of an Edgar Frog guy, I think. Alan's more stoic. Yeah, yeah but, you know, they're both a little bit reckless. I think maybe Alan is a little bit more, who's, who's more level-headed? I don't know. I think they're both kind of wild. I know, I love Edgar, it. Edgar but, had the way better hair, though. Edgar had better yeah. hair, but fucking, but Alan rocked the, the, the beret. Alan was attractive to me as a child. You hear that, Jameson Newlander? You got fans. Love Jameson Newlander. Gay following. Uh, So so we see Michael kind of, you know, the whole boardwalk area of Santa Cruz just does look like like what New York State Fair looks like uh, 
RIP, we aren't having that this year. But uh, Mike Michael's got the leather jacket now. He's looking to get his ear ear pierced by fucking the tattoo artist that I used to go to in Boonville. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, Star then offers, Star rolls up and says, apparently Star worked at fucking Skin Funk because she was going to fucking, ta- she was going to pierce his ear. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Michael's obviously hot on the hound, you know, uh, Fox on the run is the hound on that ass, Brian. He's going for it. So they meet up, and obviously Star going to hop on the back of Mike's fucking Honda 250. SLX, I think it is. And then, uh, where are you going, Star, for a ride? Michael's, or, or David tells him, yeah, you're going to come over here. You can suck on the back of this goddamn mullet. <laughs> so, uh, and then we get... An amazing, an amazing scene. You know where Hudson Bluff is overlooking the point? Come on. It's a fucking great scene. Uh, Kiefer actually, a little tidbit, Kiefer actually ended up breaking his wrist doing some of the stunts on the motorcycle. And that is why he wore gloves for most of the time that he was filming things. He That's why he wore those black leather gloves because he actually went to them being in Santa Cruz, they actually went to a surfboard maker and one of the bro dude surfer guys made him a, uh, like a carbon fucking, you know, surfboard polycarbonite, uh, whatever you want to call it, cast uh, slash sling thing for his wrist because he broke it. So they, a guy that worked at a surf shop made it out of like surfboard material thin enough for him to wear, but it would have been too noticeable. So they threw black gloves on him for most of the film. It works. That's gonna be good. It works for him. Oh yeah. Well, he was already rocking those black leather uh, pants, so it definitely went with the uh, the aesthetic of it. it, it he definitely uh, matched up. And uh, we get the the did big. Those guys, I mean, I don't know. You probably would know. Just just a random question, but do those guys all like ride? Like, do they have stunt guys for all that motorcycle work? Or? So they did have stunt men. They had a. A pretty uh, pretty extensive stunt crew, uh, and there are stunt like when they're riding down the stairs going onto the beach when the race you know the big race to Hudson's Bluff starts. Those are and and if you pause it, you can see those aren't obviously uh, you know the Lost Boy. It isn't Alex Winter and fucking Billy Worth. Um, those are stunt men, but they did ride the motorcycles in the film. Um, and I know for sure Kiefer rode some and tried to do. It wanted to do as much of the motorcycle stuff as possible, and he was actually showing off for one of the girls on set when he broke his wrist, actually. And he talked about that in a panel with uh, Jason Patrick a few years ago. Gotcha. That's, that's cool. But yeah, so they they did have an extensive stunt team, but I think wherever you know wherever it was plausible for these actors to try to get in there and and be a part of the movie as much as possible, it's usually like a studio thing. You know, you obviously don't want. Kiefer to go down and fucking Beagle Jarvis himself down on the fucking sand dunes of the beach and fucking be down and out. And, it, and if no one listening to this, if you don't live in upstate New York, you 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 may know Beagle Jarvis actually, but look up Beagle Jarvis and do yourself a favor. Yeah, if you were if you were big uh, early two thousands late nineties, uh, what uh, X Games X Games enthusiast? Yeah. 
I don't know what you guys are talking about. I, I'm going to have to look it up. But, yeah. So, uh, so we go to my favorite set of the film, The Cave, that we see, you know, off the off the beach, off this uh, ravine. Now, where this looks, I, I think it's still in Santa Cruz where this was filmed. I fucking love it. It does look very reminiscent of the Pacific Coast Highway. So I wonder if it is part of the Pacific Coast Highway. Now, if someone's not familiar with the Pacific Coast Highway, it is the main highway that runs literally on the coast of the Pacific Ocean and goes up through, you know, through California. Um, and we see a lot of the, some movies that are you may be familiar with seeing the Pacific Coast Highway in. Uh, I know what you did last summer when they're riding around the thing, you know, when you see the beach and shit, that's Pacific Coast Highway. Uh, but anyway, that kind of looked very reminiscent to that. I really just like that. And we go into the cave. Now the cave is just awesome. We find out that it's a hotel that fucking an earthquake in San Francisco where the fault mine was fucking rattled the state and, uh, brought it down, brought this hotel. So yeah, uh, Joel Schumacher was a big Doors fan. He was obviously a big like 60s cat. So we got, um, an early 70s cat. So we got, the big picture of Jim, Mor the big like mural of Jim Morrison down there, this broken down hotel, you know, as, as I said, fell through the, the fault line of this big earthquake, came crashing down. So this is the Lost Boys home. This is where they reside. Uh, it's very cool. The, it was shot on the Warner lot in one of the, obviously one of the big uh, studios in the Warner lot. And it sound stages. And it's just, this is, uh, this is awesome. And, and I think one of the, uh, I don't know if it was Halloween Horror Nights or, or some place in, in uh, California has like a little mock setup of this. And, and I think Warner uh, gave some of the set pieces to them. And, it, and you could sit there, I think around Halloween time, and take pictures in like the chair where David sits and stuff and around the set. I know Carolyn Williams posted a picture of herself sitting in it last uh, October. That's really rad. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's just a very, it looks obviously super dingy. Uh, and it's really cool. They're offering, uh, we see our first, uh, our first, uh, drug, uh, drug, uh, are you okay? Yeah. Drug. I wanted to emphasize the drug thing by seeming like I was drugged <laughs> out. Uh, you know, Michael try or David tries to hand Michael a little joint ski, little appetizer. Mm hmm. And, uh, then we cut, uh, we cut to Sam reading the, the vampire comic and when Grandpa comes in with the fucking the stuffed groundhog, brought you something to dress in, up your room, Sam. And this is obviously, we're going to get into the debate now. We need everyone to really engage in this now that we're talking about Rob Lowe's abs. Uh, so Sam has a Molly Ringwald poster. And he has a Rob Lowe poster. Now, Wait, are we, we're done with the cave? No, this is the scene that cuts in between that, and then they go back oh, to the cave. Oh, yeah, okay, I apologize. No, you're good. No. So, uh, so yes, Rob Lowe obviously just worked with Joel Schumacher and St. Elmo's Fire. That's right. pretty much how Joel got the gig. Because uh, Dick Donner's wife uh, really liked what he did on that, and she really thought Joel had some style, which he certainly did. And that's how he got the gig, so... Uh, Joel was obviously a fan of Rob Lowe. Uh, I'm sure he found him attractive and, uh, put him on a poster and what, what better way? He probably enjoyed working with Rob Lowe, put Rob Lowe up there, you know, 
I mean, I have muscular pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jean-Claude Van Damme in my house. There's a difference between those and the, and the Rob Lowe poster. Are there? Yeah, and that's not the only reason that I believe Sam is a gay character. What? Let's hear it. His style. The singing scene? Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, three things. Give me some arguments that he's a heterosexual. Well, there's no... I mean, are the Frog Brothers straight? <laughs> Yes. How do you know? Because I'm gay. I have intuition. <laughs> you don't know that. I'm speaking from gay experience. <laughs> I'm speaking from straight experience. Uh, so, yes. So, what's uh, this scene? So, what, what's I just the... want to say, um, there's nothing wrong with Sam being gay. No. He's, uh, he's a good guy. I didn't. <laughs> Why are you trying to say that? Of course, he's a great guy. He's literally stuck by his brother through all this shit. Anyway, regardless. So we go back to a scene. Eric, you're gonna have to talk on this one because I know this scene affected you. We get the uh, Chinese food scene. Back in the cave. An iconic, iconic scene. Also, Sean, if you could be in a room with either Molly Ringwald or. Rob Lowe in 1987, who would it be? Uh, Mallory Ringwald? No. I think I want to go Rob Lowe. I think I would. I, you know what? Normally I would go Rob Lowe, but Molly is just, I've been a Molly fan. I'm more of a Molly fan than I am a Rob fan. Nothing against Rob. I mean, yeah, I'm going to go with Molly Ringwald as well. Now, now if, it was, better, uh... if it was 92 and Wayne's World had just wrapped, I'd probably go Rob Lowe. I'd rather. Uh, Rob has the better overall uh, catalog. Really? You think so? Rob wasn't in Breakfast Club. I just feel like I'd yeah, get along well, with So Molly she's Ringwald. got what? Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles. 16 Candles. All right, so what else? Uh, Office Cameo Killer. And, uh, the motherfucking movie. Stand, which Rob Lowe was also in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Oh, my God. So I would say that. If it was 94, who would you pick? Rob Lowe or Molly Ringwald? I'd go Gary Sinise. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to see. I mean, state. I would pick Lieutenant Dan for sure. Yeah, Lieutenant Dan, Oscar. I just want to say, Rob Lowe's, Rob Lowe's the man. Rob Lowe is the man. Good. I love Rob Lowe. But... Soda pop, soda pop, Curtis. Damn like right. So we get the the Chinese food scene in the cave. They're offering Michael some lo mein, some rice. They offer him some rice. Michael sees maggots. Eric, what what grossed you out more? The maggots, Michael seeing the maggots as rice or Michael seeing the worms as lo mein, or the lo mein as worms? 100% the lo mein as worms. I, I still, to this day, I know it sounds crazy, but it affected me that much where I don't eat lo mein. I don't eat... Uh, you, can't, you still, to this day, can't eat lo mein because of that? I don't eat lo mein, I don't eat udon noodles, I don't eat uh, linguine, I don't eat any of that stuff. What about brain lo mein? <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, uh, and this film affected me in that way. My wife can... It has uh, significantly negatively affected our marriage because it does eat lo mein. I will put it that way. That's not fucking true. Don't say that on a podcast. Uh, it just affected me and tremendously. I don't know. I, couldn't I didn't know all that. For the longest time. And, uh, you know, 
sometimes when I'm eating spaghetti, which is never, <laughs> I picture worms. Yeah. Why? Just, why spaghetti though? What if you have red sauce on it? I just can't. It's the that's it's, worms it's not and red the sauce, taste, Jesse. The consistency. I mean, I just can't do it. This is so. If anything, this movie has has had a lasting impact on you, as you said, both good and bad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, have I had spaghetti uh, in the in? Yes, I have in my life, but uh, I haven't had any of that other stuff. I've never had romaine ever. That's crazy. No, never. Eric. Yeah. I'd just like to thank you for sharing that brave story with us. <laughs> I, you, you, I'm sure you're not the only one. There's listeners that are going to feel exactly what you're feeling. Oh, when we, uh, when we do the uh, testimonial episode, and I'm talking to a few guests that we're going to have on here, I'm really curious to see if anybody else had that, had that uh, experience with this uh, Chinese food scene. I'm probably the only crazy one, and I'm 35. I should probably just get over it by now. But uh, I think next time we hang out, we got to watch Lost Boys and feed you lo mein. <laughs> I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say I've never had lo mein in my life. Oh, lo mein's great. Brain lo mein, too. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, we get the uh, one of the coolest props in this movie, the the bottle of blood, the wine bottle of blood. It has, like, gems on it. And the Lost Boys themselves kind of look like gypsies, like... And this looks just like, a, you know, like the, the gypsy clan from the movie Thinner would have this bottle, too. Like, they made this bottle. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this, I mean, this bottle is just so sick. I, I just thought it was so sick, and it's got human blood in it, as Star tells Michael. And he drinks it, and... Uh, I don't know why Kiefer is in a wheelchair and Marco's pushing him around. I always thought that was funny. <laughs> no one else. Are you guys both there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, we're here. Okay. Uh, no thoughts on the bottle? No, it's a I mean, pretty red bottle. I like it a lot. Uh, I wish I owned one. It's a nice No, pop. I think you're right. I think it's like... It was like an intriguing way for them to uh, offer Michael the blood, you know what I mean? Because I think he was like, he didn't know what it was. As opposed um, to just having it in like a fucking, like a Molson can or something. <laughs> well, yeah, instead of just having like, you know, or even like a dead body there, like the drain or something like that. I thought it was cool that they they offered it to him in that way after they offered him the, they fucked with him a little bit with the, um with the food and and he don't really he doesn't really quite know exactly what he's getting into but he, he obviously he just you know he doesn't anyway whether he wants to i don't know if he's trying to fit in with him or he's shown that he's tough but right it was really, really cool so we get the uh the bridge scene we see them one by one drop down and hang from this bridge and then michael does too what were your guys' thoughts immediately when because it always like I always thought it was a it was a cool scene again for them to kind of like be like okay now you can sl- they eased my I will give them this they eased Michael into the vampire thing they didn't say like they didn't just roll up on him and like drink his blood and, and try to like turn him into a vampire they're like here you know we're slowly gonna lure you in we're gonna you know we're gonna give you a little blood then we're gonna sh- kind of show you what we do and then 
I mean, they get to the point where they say, you know, the party's over, and we'll get to that. But uh, what were you guys' thoughts on the the bridge scene where they do these little suicide dives? They're shaking. They slowly one by one drop. Uh, it was almost like a, them trying to just show Michael, like, L- this is what you're going to be capable of. This scene used to make me very uneasy because uh, heights freaked me out a lot when I was a kid. Even if it was, like, a movie, we were dealing with heights in a movie. And I remember the scene being very loud. It, yeah, very, it is It is super loud. Very intense. Yeah, just... You're one of us, Michael! I wouldn't Michael! say it, it, like, completely freaked me out, but it made me, like, uneasy. And, uh... What I like about it, it is it is anxiety, especially when Michael does fall and he's kind of just keeps falling. It like I've had that dream where you keep falling and then like you fucking wake up like when you hit the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I've had that, so I understand the anxiety like uh, situation you're talking about for sure. And uh, oh, Mikey Mike wakes up. He's in like a fucking hungover bed. You know, wakes up, like, he looks like he's hungover. He's fucking got the white Reeboks on. I think they're Reeboks. I can't really even tell. Uh, So he's laying in the bed. Sam rolls in. Uh, uh, Old mom's calling. And, uh, you know, Sam's asking him, you know, if he's using drugs. Are you freebasing? Inquiring minds want to know. I didn't know what freebasing meant for the longest time. I just went with it. Come on. You're not a Rick James fan? Um, uh, why but don't you, why don't you explain to the listeners what freebasing is? So I believe freebasing is when you actually you don't know either. Yeah, I do. You believe though? Freebasing is when you it's specifically with crack cocaine, right? It means to prepare or take cocaine. Yeah. So like I I I, I thought freebasing was specifically. When when you like when you uh, put it onto like a fucking thing and you you smoked it through the fucking uh, the tin foil, right? I don't know, but they used it in a sentence because it's crack cocaine. <laughs> they used it in a sentence too. She set off an L.A. hotel alarm while she was freebasing cocaine. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. That, or it's freebasing just means like setting it up like on a on a surface, right? Yes, to prepare. Or that's take. Fun. You would know. No, I don't know. <laughs> I so think we're getting real hung up on freebasing. Oh yeah, I like it. I don't uh, know what we would have. That's my point. What? How come you couldn't just say like, "Are you doing like coke?" Freebasing is does sound way cooler. It sounds like it's something you do like in Point Break. It sounded more intriguing. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Grandpa uses the fucking Windex as cologne when he's looking for his old spice. <laughs> I just thought that was fucking hilarious because Windex has no fucking smell other than like the fucking Windex smell. So he sprays it on himself. It's one of the funniest fucking things. Uh, I thought that was uh, hilarious shit. And uh, we get the uh, the Lost Boys st- stalking Grandpa's uh, house uh, after he leaves to go see the Widow Johnson. Uh, so Grandpa is courting a woman... He refers to as the Widow Johnson. So, <laughs> not Mrs. Johnson, the Widow. The Widow Johnson. Uh, which I love. So, I would assume that this guy recently died. Maybe he was a vampire. Grandpa Grandpa killed him. And she didn't know that her her uh, husband was a... Uh, who had recently been murdered. 
was a vampire and grandpa killed him. And now he's just moving in and stealing stealing the thunder. I don't think he's ever I mean, killed a vampire. It just shows I think how he's cool just avoided them. Again, that he's, still, he's still out on the market. He's still prowling. Oh, yeah. He's still out there for sure. So, uh, but yeah, we get the the Lost Boys rolling up with the bikes and, and kind of stirring up shit. And Michael fucking just tells Sam. I just thought it was so weird. Like, it's such a weird, funny dynamic where Michael's like, go take your bath. <laughs> <laughs> why why does sam still take baths i still take baths but it's because my fucking the shower pressure at this place fucking sucks so i'm you know what? <laughs> she does too. she walks up she goes go take your bath that was stupid <laughs> <laughs> and uh i 100 percent do all that with the comb in my hair I don't have a dog, though, to sit there and guard me. I only have a turtle. Oh. Uh, okay. Be honest, have you reenacted? You were fully reenacted the scene. Yeah. So so we get uh, Mikey Mike is uh, goes and uh, drinks some fucking milk and gets sick. He goes up uh, and goes upstairs while Sam's fucking taking his bath and uh and nanook the amazing husky dog who i love nanook steals the show several times too uh attacks michael and protects him from it looks like trying to go after his own brother pretty fucked up uh so he uh he uh, then sees that michael fucking that nanook bit michael he see that sees that michael has no reflection and he calls the Frog Brothers. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. <laughs> so it's... Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So we got the Frog Brothers on the phone. And, uh, you know, we get the Michael float scene. Michael's obviously uh, distraught. He floats up to the thing. He goes out the fucking window. Scares the piss and shit out of Sam. Uh, calls his fucking mom. And uh, mom's out to dinner with Max. Out to dinner with Max. So, this going back to this, Eric didn't think that Max and Lucy had any kind of sexual relationship. Why are they eating dinner? What else does Sam want? What else does Max want to eat? I mean, I, I will say she's she uh, like soft spoken and, and very conservative. And I just think you're. I will you know. say I think they're taking it slow. Yeah, I don't oh, think of course. they've had sex. At any point. Well, no, I obviously not. Uh, he's a creature of the night. So, uh, or that's yet to be uh, determined. And I actually have some. I actually have some 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 thoughts later on as we talk about this. Uh, I'm really interested to get to. But mom comes home. Sam obviously is just says he's concerned about uh, reading his comic. He got scared. Uh, so when Lucy throws the the milk that is spilled on the floor, we see Laddie who is uh, Star's little sidekick, little uh, adoptive brother-type-esque vampire, half-vampire friendoid. Uh, he's on the milk carton. That's such an ugly name, by the way. What? I think. Laddie? Laddie, yeah. Laddie. I don't know why, La whenever I hear Laddie, I think maggot, too. I don't... Really? 
I don't know why either. <laughs> Sean doesn't pipe up for 20 minutes, so when I say something outlandish like that, Sean's like, really? Uh, he just spoke. He, he said laddie in a funny voice. I'm just kidding. So uh, I also thought it was funny that uh, Michael heads out fucking, and uh, he, <laughs> this is my favorite part, is uh, Sam fucking sleeps in his mom's bed because he's afraid Michael might fucking try to take a chunky chew out of him. And he's got the fucking garlic t-shirt on him. I thought that was funny. Regardless. Uh, so, uh, so this is really interesting. So Max is like walking into his house or whatever. And the bat kite gets flown at him. I got a couple theories on this. So obviously we see the motorcycle. So we immediately thought it was a diversion to say like, okay, Max isn't, you know, Max definitely isn't like involved with the Lost Boys at all. So, but who, why would they, did they fly the bat kite at him? Uh, Obviously, if you've seen the movie, we're not revealing anything you haven't seen. Uh, If you haven't seen it, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast, but I appreciate it if you are. Uh, So initially, when I was a kid, I thought that the Lost Boys turned him then and made him like the father that they really wanted. As a kid, that's what I thought. I didn't think that he was already a vampire. I thought the Lost Boys turned him into a vampire that night. Because they flew the bat kite at him, and then they're rubbing up their motorcycles, shining their lights on him. I thought they turned him and made him into, like, the father figure that that they wanted for their vampire clan then. As a kid, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Right. Not the case. And also, I thought it would have been an even cooler angle... If they would have done this a little later on in the film where Sam didn't think that, um, uh, you know, after Sam was really convinced that Max might have been uh, uh, a vampire, if the Frog Brothers would have flown the bat kite at him and just to kind of be like, yeah, we know who you are, motherfucker. I thought that would have been funny. So I think, don't, doesn't Max and the Lost Boys, they have kind of like a, conservative father and rebellious kids sort of relationship. 100%. 100%. So I feel like they were just... Fuck razzing them. Yeah. Like, yeah, bat kite. Because we're all fucking bat boys. Fuck you, dad. (laughs) Fuck you, dad. Uh, But yeah, so we got... um, Where the fuck are we? We are at, in my notes, uh, Star and Mike Fuck. Uh, so, you know, Michael obviously runs out to the cave. What's happening to me, Star? Uh, and we get in the deleted scene. It's actually quite extended. It's almost like the the entire Tom G. Mac fucking <laughs> Cry Little Sister song. It's almost the entire song that the the entire sex scene happens for. So, uh, props to Joel for that. We obviously got the edited version. Uh, pretty, pretty intense, conservative sex scene. We don't see anything really, just some abs, some shoulders, some hair. And then we get, uh, another cloud shot with a crane flying through the crowd, through the clouds. Uh, and that is the, the Lost Boys coming back into the cave, hooting and hollering. Michael then sees that his hand is healed from Nanook biting it just the night prior. So he knows that there's some real shit going on in those veins of his. And Michael comes home. He has a little heart-to-heart with his mom. Uh, 
you know, thinks it's just, you know, teenage rebellion shit. Little does he know, does she know he just freaking slipped and slopped with uh, a, a fellow half vampire in a freaking vampire cave for the night. Slipped and slopped? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what do you call it? I was trying not to use something as harsh as fuck. You already did, though. Well. So, uh. So, uh. When Michael comes in, he's obviously got the I just got laid sunglasses look on, and Grandpa obviously reveals that he fucking slipped and slopped at the Widow Johnson. Yeah, I wasn't the only one that got lucky last night. You want to know, by the way. Who I picture the Widow Johnson looking like for some reason. <laughs> Who does the Widow Johnson look like? Like Grandma Death. Was... <laughs> I can picture him walking out when What's when he pulls in with his horn. That I don't know why. She's just out at the mailbox. Ah, no mail today. She looks like Mrs. Tangle. <laughs> or Mrs. Collier. I always picture the fucking um, the psychic from Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> the psychic from Jeepers Maybe that is the Widow Johnson, actually. I don't know why, either. Just ever since Jeepers Creepers has been a movie I've seen, and then I hear Widow Johnson, I don't know. So, I think uh, that's who she is. Maybe. So we get the Hounds of Hell, Lucy going to apologize to Max for running out on him. We get fucking Thorn. The fucking other dog. There's two Darst dar, dar dog stars in this movie. We should have had the dogs go after each other. Thorn versus fucking Nanook. That would have been sicker than shit. I don't agree with dog violence. Well, obviously, I didn't want to fight him. <laughs> but what if Thorn was a fucking... I mean, Thorn, had, Thorn seemed like a pussy. Nanook had kills. Le, Nanook had a legit kill in this film. True, true. Nanook is such an interesting name. It really is. It, I I would... Do you think the Alaska Emersons name. are Native American? That seems like a Native American name, Nanook. It is. Is it? Yeah, it's all, it, like it's an Alaskan thing, too. There's a college in Alaska, I know it's called Nanook. Yeah, so I think it's a... Uh, Someone do a polar bear. Interesting. So, uh, so Sam goes back to the comic shop as the Frog Brothers are opening it up for the day, and you know he, you know, the uh, you know the dogs, Max's dog just attacked. He's pretty sure it's Max. Uh, we get a great Alan Frog line: "Kill your brother, you'll feel better." Uh, and I also love that they said we we also believe ghouls and werewolves occupy spots in City Hall. I thought that was a an awesome line. There there could have been so many cool spin-offs in, uh, to this movie that we just never got, unfortunately. I know, seriously. And uh, so they obviously suspect suspect Max. Max gets invited in by Michael when he comes to the house the following night. That obviously we know is uh Tuboku, not a, not a good thing. And uh Something we see as Max is walking in, we see Grandpa kind of eyeing him from the from his uh, taxidermist room. Again, an- another foreshadowing where Grandpa smells some some shit in the toilet, and the shit is Max. Going on. Why? <laughs> Why what? 
you you just choose very specific imagery, very specific <laughs> metaphors that paint a a smell. <laughs> well, if you could smell shit just by me saying it, that's probably not a good thing either. Actually, maybe it's a great thing. So they have dinner with Max. They put him to the test, and this always confused me as a kid. Uh, cause I just was d- too dumb to put it together, but Max says it at the end, you know, never invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy, it renders you powerless. So Max passes all the tests. So to the unwatchful eye, for some reason I did this as a kid. I thought it looked cool that the, I, that minced garlic or like, you know, fresh chopped garlic like that, that looked like Parmesan cheese would be good on your, uh would be good on your thing. So I remember chopping some up as a kid. My mom's just like, you're not going to like that. And putting that on there. So there's a lot of food, uh, a lot of food shit going on in this film. It's grossing people out. I'm fucking just pouring raw garlic on my pasta. A lot of yeah. noodles, a lot of noodles in this movie. How old were you? Like 18? <laughs> probably, probably. No, I wasn't 18. Uh, regardless. So, uh, so yeah, Max passes all the tests. And, uh, we get, uh, Michael sees the real faces of the Lost Boys, what they actually are. Because Michael, for all intents and purposes, doesn't know what he actually is, right? Right. He knows that there's something fucking weird going on with him, and that's it. You know, he knows, you know, we say vampire, but he doesn't really know what he actually is. Until, you know, it's funny, we don't see... Uh, we don't see this Aerosmith Run DMC Walk This Way uh, remix on the soundtrack, but it appears in the film. And it's obviously, like, I'm sure it had some legal clearance issues with the with Aerosmith's record label. But the song does not appear on the actual soundtrack, but it's probably one of the biggest songs in all of America at the time when it came out. Mm-hmm. And, I wonder yeah, how they could afford to put it in the movie, but not... I don't know how that stuff works. It was because it was probably something where they would have to cut. Aerosmith probably had some kind of crazy record deal where they probably wanted a certain amount of record sales, and the last thing you want to do is be giving a chunk of your soundtrack sales to one band. Isn't is, isn't it a collaboration with Run DMC? Yeah, but it, it's an originally written song by Aerosmith. And oh, then they redid it with Run DMC years later. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Aerosmith. I think I knew that. Yeah. So Aer- yeah, Aerosmith would would own the publishing, or at least a record company. I don't know if Aerosmith owned their publishing at that time. I think they do now, but their record company probably owned the publishing at the time. So it was more on probably like, hey, you're gonna appear in this movie soundtrack. Uh, the last thing they wanted to do was shelve out money to Joe Perry and Steven Tyler and and those guys. Uh, so yeah, it didn't appear on the soundtrack, but we see it as the uh, the Nazi punks get slaughtered in the tree. But we see Greg Canham's uh, makeup for his vampires for the first time in this film. Very subtle with the eyebrow, the little eyebrow prosthetics around the eyebrow, uh, a little cheekbone prosthetic, and of course the archaic yet amazing looking glass eye contacts for the eyes. Let's speak right now. Uh, I think this is. Some of the best vampire makeup ever because it's so subtle, but is super creepy and effective. I think it inspired the vampire makeup on Buffy, the, well, the TV show. Well, it 100% did because John Vujic, uh 
uh, worked on this, and John Vujicic was one of the head guys and the special effects artists on the Buffy show. Oh, okay. So that does make sense. And I believe... Yeah, I think I, they nailed it, like with the, like you said, with the, like the way the vampires, like it wasn't too outrageous. It was just enough, like, I don't know. It was perfect. And like Brian said, I didn't realize the connection there, but it did remind me a lot of uh, stuff from the Buffy, the, the show, which I thought is another, some of my favorite vampires as well. Yeah, and, and Joel said he didn't want to turn them into monsters so much. He wanted them to, to remain, like, humanistic and look sexy enough. Uh, while still being evil, and, and he nailed it. So we see this. They look super creepy, and the contacts, they couldn't keep the contacts in for, I think, up to, like, seven minutes was, like, the most you keep the contacts in because it blocked off all air, and your eyes would get so sore and dried out that, and they filmed, you know, this is pre-CGI. You can't just CGI, you know, uh, any kind of effects onto you, and, you know, this isn't, you know, they have so many contacts now for, even, you know, just a few years early, or later in the 90s, they had, you know, leaps and bounds, come leaps and bounds with, like, contacts, colored contacts and things like that. So the fact that they did this and, you know, when they're hanging upside down in the cave and they have the contacts in, they had to literally lift everyone up, get everyone set quick, shoot for two or three minutes, hopefully get a couple good takes, and then try it again and go over and over again. So it was a really tedious thing having those contacts in because you had to stop every three to four minutes because you couldn't keep them in. And they were hard, they were glass, and you could cut your cornea mm. on them. And I know that I'm pretty sure that I believe uh, Brooke McCarter and I think I think uh, Alex Winter got slight cornea abrasions on their eye from getting taking these uh, contacts in and out. That freaks me out. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty brutal, but very impressive, and uh, they suffered for the art of the film for sure. That's insane. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's pretty brutal, but it it was so worth it because they look so good. And uh, so yeah, the you know we get Kiefer's line. Uh, you know, you'll never grow old, you'll never die, but you must feed. So Michael knows for sure what exactly he is now. He just saw it, and he saw what he has to do if he's going to survive as uh, as a vampire. Uh, I also uh, love that Sam has a Born to Shop shirt on when they, they go to... Uh, uh, they... You know who else likes shopping? Who? I was trying to make a joke. It didn't work. <laughs> Gay people. <laughs> I like shopping. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, but I, I did think that was funny that he had a Born to Shop shirt on. Um, Real quick, should we get a Sean check? Sean? Sean? Hello? All right, just making sure. So uh, Michael knows wh- wh- what he is. Uh, Star flies up to, Sam- to Sam's room as Michael's up there now. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we start, you know, getting this all revealed to Sam. And yeah, he he's got connections. He calls the Frog Brothers up, and we get the uh, the Frog Brothers show up on their BMX bikes, full regalia. They're ready to slay some fucking vampires. They steal Grandpa's car, and we get the face the first face off in the in the cave as the Frog Brothers show up. They they steal Grandpa's car as he's setting up the horse fence, as we said. And yeah, so the Frog Brothers are. Uh, are in tow holy shit vampire hotel they're in the goddamn cave 
Another very intense scene, especially when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is very, this is, uh, you know, we're reaching the near climax of of the film right now, you know. Uh, And, uh, you know, this is, again, everyone, they're up, when they're up there in the cave hanging, that's them actually hanging. Like, that isn't, Mm -hmm. they're on a soundstage hanging upside down. That's pretty intense, especially when they have those contacts in. That's pretty brutal. Yeah, it's pretty rad, actually. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, submitting yourself and and dedicating yourself to, to doing something like that, you know. And then you got actors nowadays that will bitch and complain about something way less uh, tedious and strenuous and, and taxing than that. Uh, I wouldn't put glass in my eye. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't think I would either. Uh, but we get, you know, they're they're searching for him. Michael's trying to get Star out of there because obviously he doesn't want the Frog Brothers going rogue and staking the shit out of her. Only person that stakes Star is Michael. Remember that. And uh, oh, I get it. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining the show. Uh, so we get, you know, first come first stake. They stake Marco, and. I love that they went. They didn't go with like a traditional like blood or anything like that. They went went with like a like a slick, slimy, glittery like substance, and and I thought it it worked very well, especially once they all got out in the sun after they exited the cave, and you could see the glitter and the sparkle on it. Mm. Do you think maybe that inspired Twilight to make their vampires sparkly? Absolutely, I think Twilight. <laughs> Twilight pretty Without much took what Lost Boys it was, did, it, and it just like, don't even with it. don't say that. It finished what Lost Boys started. Um, but yeah, uh, we get the the great Kiefer scene. Obviously, it's one of the most memorable scenes in the movie when Kiefer's pulling uh, Corey Hames' uh, Converse back in. He gets burned. Uh, uh, amazing scene with Kiefer. Probably you know so one of the most iconic shots of Kiefer Kiefer in his film career. Would you guys agree? I would say so. I would say so for sure. Can you say that one more time? The scene where Kiefer's screaming as he's grabs, or he's kind of like looking intensely as he grabs Corey Hames' foot, Sam's foot. Mm-hmm. It's like one of, I feel like it's an image I see a lot of Kiefer whenever we're, obviously whenever we're talking about the Lost Boys, but certainly when we're when Kiefer gets brought up, it's one of the first things I think about is Kiefer in that makeup. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would say so, for us. So, uh, but yeah, so we get them almost driving off the cliff, and they got to come back with plan B. They drive all the way back. They're they're bringing Star back up into Grandpa's house, and Grandpa, of course, they bring levity to, like, the craziest of situations. They just literally saw and killed a vampire, and now the vampires are going to be in tow to them, uh... Within, you know, just a few hours, and we get the levity with Grandpa, you know. You know the rule about filling up the car with the gas and you take it without asking? Uh, just classic uh, classic Grandpa, and we see uh, him, uh, Corey Haim, go into the his mother, try to tell his mother they're on their own. They go into the church, they get some holy water, and they go and they prep the house after Grandpa leaves the widow Johnson one more time. And, uh, I love this little montage where they're filling up the tub with holy water. 
They're chopping garlic up, throwing it in there. They're tipping tables over, barricading the doors. They're making steaks. They're getting prepped. This is a this is an awesome like pre uh, pre fight war scene, is it not? Uh, absolutely. Oh, it definitely is. No, no more. Just what was that, guys? <laughs> Sometimes you keep talking and don't leave enough room for a big response, and then sometimes you do it's unpredictable sorry it's okay but yes uh so we then go back to the scene and uh something that creeped me out as a kid i don't know why it creeped me out and i wish there was more footage of it when they go back to the cave before they awake and fly out we get a, a short clip of their foot of Kiefer's like foot that's like a half bat like foot half human foot and it's really long and gross and has, like, the, the toe, big, thick toenails on it. Did anybody else get creeped out of that or just, like, amazed how cool that looked? I thought it looked cool. I was amazed by how cool it looked. I don't think I was ever creeped out by it. Yeah, it was legit effects for sure. You know, there's so much. There was plenty of stuff that got cut through this film, too, that they just didn't have time for. But I think the subtlety of the effects kind of, like, aided in... Uh, in the movie being as cool as it was, for sure. And uh, so then we got our our face-off with the uh, the vampires. They hit the they hit the house, and we got uh we got it all. But before that, you know, we see Max and Lucy are out to dinner, so they're out. So the house is is to be defended by them. We see them, you know, some implode, some explode, but all will try to take you with them. They come flying in. Uh, the Paul, Lost Boy Paul, obviously upstairs as the Frog Brothers try to just stake uh, Star and Laddie right then. They're not going to take it. We get, in uh, my opinion, the best death scene in the entire film. It was actually filmed outside the set was made outside so they could do all the bloodbath effects going through all the plumbing and stuff because obviously it would have ruined anything that they're working on inside a sound stage or on a legit set inside of a house or anything like that so this was filmed outside the bathtub scene with paul where uh you know they throw the holy water on him it burns his face and they used uh they used uh an acetone i think and it melted the the uh, the latex right off his face. So what did that you say they used? Uh, they I think it was acetone. That's rad, yeah, because it burns the like prosthetic or whatever you want to say, not the prosthetic. But... Yeah. So there was no like there was no like several different makeups or anything like that. Like they would throw it, they would throw like the water on him and let the acetone literally burn off the the latex. And uh, when he got knocked into the the tub, like that, he was had the acetone in the tub with him too. Obviously, not for very long, just for that short scenes. But I thought the makeup effects for Paul's death were fucking amazing. With the uh, with the latex, uh, the skin obviously melting off, uh, appearing as the you know the holy water's rotting through him. And uh, Nudnook jumps in and knocks him in the tub, and uh, and I just. I thought that was so fucking sick. Just all the blood rushing through all the plumbing and blowing up the toilet and mm. shooting out the kitchen sink. Like, how cool is that? Like, yeah, that, that it's genius. It's, that was probably my favorite death scene in the whole movie, I was going to say, that, 
that's probably the, the death scene that steals steals it from all of them, right? The yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that's not the death scene. Well, no, they couldn't have the dog kill Kiefer Sutherland. See, but... see, I, I almost you almost have to have like Paul and Dwayne's deaths be like super stylistic. Yeah, and stylish, and then you need uh, Kiefer's death, David's death, to be more like, just like final and like kind of like straight stake to the heart, a he natural. Did get a good death. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we're gonna we're getting to that, mm-hmm. and then we get Paul's, uh, or or uh, we get uh, Dwayne's uh, death by stereo. Obviously, came the band Death by Stereo got their name from this. I'm 100 percent sure it's got to be right, Eric. I would say there's no other. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, so how awesome is that? That you know, Dwayne stalking. That scene always gave me like uh, anxiety. Is seeing Sam rolling around with the light and trying to wake Michael up, and then you, you get the point of view of Dwayne watching Sam like kind of w- walk around with the fucking lamp, or crawl around with the lamp. Yes. Yeah, that's another really cool visually. Like it's crazy how many of the scenes. Like I, all the scenes that come from like the like their perspective are all really cool. Like the like the vampire's perspective, I should say. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that's a credit to Joel knowing how to capture that style, and then Michael Chapman. You know that DOP. He he was Scorsese's guy. He worked on Raging Bull. He worked on. Uh, he wasn't the DOP, but he were he was a camera operator on like The Godfather. Uh, you know, so the guy was working with some of the best in the industry you know, a decade or so before. And this movie really, it was graced with Michael Chapman's uh, skills because it's shot beautifully. Everything we see is just shot so fucking cool and awesome. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realize the DOP through this uh, work with Scorsese. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he did Taxi Driver as well. Uh, just, it was really, really cool to see, uh, someone so high caliber come on and do this and uh you know the movie was a success so you know it's added to it and and in interviews from michael chapman michael chapman talks about um the effects when he talks about the effects he talks about how uh he actually credits uh the effects because uh greg canham is obviously the lead special effects artist on this said you know michael knew how to shoot everything so nothing looked off he knew how to do it and michael chapman immediately like kind of barks back at that in a positive way and says well that's due to the effects he's like i don't have to really work around anything when the effects look as good as they did on the lost boys so a lot of talent and a lot of love shared between the people that helped create this amazing film that's awesome and uh yeah so we get i mean sam sam bow and arrows uh old uh Dwayne into the fucking stereo as good times uh, in excess jimmy barnes plays <laughs> And just blows up. And they don't shy away from that either. They show him sparks flying out of the prosthetic made uh, from by, uh, by Billy Worth, the actor. And the head blowing up with the arm blowing up. It's just a, an awesome scene. Just another awesome scene. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about how the like everyone else's uh, deaths are just so more outrageous. Like I mean, like the, you know, other than... Uh the key first you know what i mean yeah especially like a horror comedy movie too that kind of you would think it's not taking itself too serious but then you get like they really cater fully to the horror fan with those deaths yeah that's why i think we we love movies like lost boys so much and return of the living dead and 
Movies that really balance the horror and the comedy really well. Oh, yeah. I think Lost Boys definitely does that. Well, you know, it's another funny thing is they kept coming to Richard Donner. The studio, other people in the studio were coming to Richard Donner and saying, like, well, what is it? Is it a horror? Is it a comedy? And he said, yes. He goes, no. What? What is it a horror or is it a comedy? And Richard Donner goes, yes. And then they did the same thing. Other producers that were working uh, under under Dick Donner, who was one of the head uh, producers mm-hmm. at Warner Brothers, were coming to Joel and saying, you know, well, what is this? They were getting dailies, and they're like, well, we're laughing. We're getting, like, dailies where there's no horror at all. It's just straight, like, it seems like a comedy. Producers and, um, they're you de- know, higher-ups, they're so yeah. dumb sometimes. They're detached from, like, This was cinema. not the first horror comedy. No, definitely not. But they... They're thinking about how to market it. I yeah, guess. absolutely. And uh, but they said the same thing to Joel. Like, well, what is this? Is this a horror movie? Is it a comedy? And Joel just say yes. <laughs> and he's just like, and they just looked at me like dumbfounded. He said. And uh, so yeah, uh, just uh, Dwayne's death, death by stereo is just so, so sick. And uh, one of the fucking coolest things. Uh, when uh, Sam meets up with the Frog Brothers after they've both made their kills, uh, they say, we trashed the one that looked like Twisted Sister. It's fucking <laughs> amazing. And then uh, Sam goes, I got one downstairs with a bow and arrow. And Alan goes, all right, Sambo, as in Rambo. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was so fucking sick. I thought that was hilarious. I don't know if that was written or if that was improv I would love to know, like, little ins and outs like that. Uh, it's just so... Uh, so fun and uh we get uh laddie is the the little vampire we see him uh kind of turning as they're boasting about the kills that they've done and they have that weird little like handshake thing that's hilarious where he's just like we're awesome monster bashers the meanest the baddest and they do like the fucking the hang tight and the fucking like metal uh the metal horns i thought that was hilarious and then laddie blows up and it looks like Linguini shooting out of the fucking bed. Was that a waterbed? Did Michael have a fucking waterbed? Or was that Sam's waterbed? Hmm. Were waterbeds gay? Water. Brian, are waterbeds gay? No, Eric had a waterbed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many times did you walk in like you were fucking Edward Scissorhands and just poke a hole in it? I'm pretty sure... What? Sorry. Sean, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. All right, cool. Uh, Eric, you had a waterbed, right? I'm not just crazy. No, I did, yeah. Did you get any action in that waterbed? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's listening, and no, I did not. I didn't mean like that, you sicko. What do you mean? I mean, yeah, did, you ever, did poke you, a, mean? you ever poke a hole in it? My cat did. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Actual yeah. action. Not me. Um, but yeah, so we got, uh, we get David and Michael facing off. Uh, amazing. The lighting in this, the way it's shot, seeing the red, you know, broken lights on the ground that are reflecting on David and Michael's face as they're, as they're facing off with each other. And just uh, amazing. David gets friggin' twisted back around. Uh, as he's holding Michael, saying he needs to join us, stop fighting it, and goes right through him. Now, they actually did a full 
uh, upper body bust and did a, a full cast of Kiefer with his eyes open and had it. And they, they filmed it and they just cut it. It was supposed to be like him kind of like uh, like going through it and then kind of like blowing up, well, like where his head kind of blows up. Mm. That's That would have been a little over the top for his death, I think. Yeah, so so in the special features, they, they actually show like little tiny quick clips of it when they're talking about it. Mm. Um, and it looks really cool, but I, I think that they just kind of wanted to go with a more classic type of vampire death in this, which is great though, because you see like the steam rising off of it, and the, they play the little like uh, choir chorus part of uh, "Cry Little Sister." Uh, again, and then when the red light like falls on Michael's face as he still has the vampiric eyes, it's just like it's a classic, classic scene. And we see that I just want to say too, like it's so good. I feel like all throughout the entire movie, something that I really like the cinematography and like the uh, director of photography like uses that really sets everything off is like you said the lighting. Oh yeah. I feel like the way they use like the neons and then like the red in these scenes is like really just like I don't know. It like really has an effect on the overall feel of the film. Yeah. And it's really it's really rad. Yeah, I mean it's little things like that that make this film. And this is a film that could have far foregone like a lot of that artistic stuff, but it didn't. And I think that's why it's so fun and it's so entertaining. And I feel like it appeals to so many different people and it can appeal to people. And I feel like some people might write this off as not being like an artistic movie or isn't like, you know, as sophisticated cause it's like a comedy horror, but stylistically it's a cut above a lot of the shit that was coming out. That was kind of revered more so than say a, a horror comedy like the lost boys. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the film was iconic itself, so I think uh, it's the perfect mix of everything. I mean, nothing against, like, n- no offense at all, because I love Dances with Wolves, but, like, who's doing a dan- who's doing a podcast on Dances with Wolves? Nobody. I'd be, I'd be oh, open. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> you're, I'd be open. You're completely yeah. right. You're completely right about that. Uh, I think that also speaks to just horror alone, I mean. Who's saying there he is to? Sean. Oh. There's nothing like a horror fan. But yeah, uh, so, you know, we see that nothing's changed. Max and Lucy uh, roll in, and Max sees that David's dead, and Max reveals himself to be, you know, the the vampiric father of this fucking clan. And uh, we see Max's Max turn. I, for some reason, remember Mrs. Doubtfire when Sally Field finds out <laughs> that that's the same reaction? <laughs> I just pictured, like, the whole time. <laughs> that's what... That would have um, been great, actually. <laughs> Can we cut those two films together? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but, uh... But, yeah, we get the blood-sucking uh, Brady Bunch. And they actually, uh... You know, again, for Edward Herman, they had a whole, like, weathered, super, like, old, looks like he's an older vampire with, like, gray hair, like a blue-gray, like, wrinkled face. And they had, like, this awesome, like, crazy wild, like, fucking hair that they were going to have on him, too. And they filmed that, too, where he kind of, like, exploded and was on fire and his skin was burning from under his skin and and was flaming out and, and causing, like, big burns on his head, too. They were going to use that. They unfortunately cut it. I do think the way that they did it, they kept it. They didn't go so demonic and so like monster-like 
And I think it was smart that they didn't do that. As much as I would love to see that alternative, like, cuts of that stuff, uh, they kept it, like, sleek and sexy, and they didn't, like, make them turn into monsters at any point. They were demonic, but they weren't, they didn't turn into, like, true monsters, where it was like, oh, this is, like, a full-blown monster movie. They maintained, like, a human element to the, to the vampires maintained right. such a human element that you never, like, oh, like, okay, it got crazy. There's, like, you know, it's like the swamp monster in, in the Revenge of Swamp thing. It didn't turn into it from dusk till dawn. Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> where the vampires just became, like... A, a, a big, giant rat. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing against from dusk till dawn, of course. No, a lot of but. But, uh, uh, you know, I didn't invite you this time, Max. Michael gets tossed. Grandpa coming in to save the day with that crazy goddamn geezer geriatric horn. The clown horn. Drives that sick-ass Jeep he got from Romano right through the goddamn thing. And Michael jumping down and coming in with the, uh, with the Penny Hardaway assist, pushing him into the stake. That grandpa drives through the wooden cabin log house deal into Max. Big explosion into the chimney. Something I love. The Lost Boys, or or, uh, the Frog Brothers, have goggles prepared. And they put goggles on as the flames are shooting out of the chimney and Max is going up in flames. They prepared for, what did they both have pairs of goggles for? They were prepared for this big explosion. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Um... They probably write everything about something like that in a comic book. I love it. Alan has some uh, McGreedy goggles on from the thing. Uh, Edgar has the the Carrie King Oakleys on. It's great. <laughs> and uh, and we get. Did anybody else think that Grandpa was a vampire when he was walking to the like va- Grandpa was going to be a good vampire or something when he was slowly walking to and not saying anything when he goes to the fridge and opens up the. And opens up the uh, the fridge and and drinks a root beer, and the one thing he never could stomach about Santa Carla was all the damn vampires. Did anybody think he was going to reveal himself to be a vampire in that moment? No, because I saw it before I can remember. You know what I mean? I right, don't remember right. the first time I watched it. But that was a question for all three of us. Uh, I mean, I don't think I, I felt that, but uh, who knows? I mean, I think they left. I think they kind of left his uh, his his character a little bit like a secret, like you know what I mean. Like you kind of you he alluded, like you said, like throughout the whole film that he knew something was up, and he knew, but he never really let on everything that he knew. So yeah, exactly. He uh, he had that presence throughout the whole film, and uh, and then we get Echo and the Bunnymen's cover of the Doors, legendary track. People are strange, and that's a uh, curtain call on the Lost Boys. Grandpa could have been, like, a good Van Helsing. Oh, yeah. He definitely had Van, Van Helsing vibes, for sure. So this this movie is very notable for several reasons. It was, the unfortunately, it was the first time that uh, the uh, that Corey Haim had smoked pot. I don't know about Feldman, but it was the first time that they had smoked pot was on the set of this. They, um... Their first movie together, right? Yeah, for the, yeah. For the movie that started it all, for the, with the two Corys. And uh, we got... We got um, after parties after every day. I know uh, Corey Ham and Corey Feldman said that you know that they were hanging out every day after, and, and with Jameson Newlander saying that they were hanging out every night after filming. You know, at one point the kid Chance Michael Corbett, who plays Laddie, got 
uh, I think like a pre, you know, obviously there weren't Amber Alerts out then, but like an Amber Alert type thing went out for him because he actually went out with all the cast and was out for like a few hours after filming one day and his parents couldn't find him. <laughs> I thought that was funny, but there was just like, <clears throat> I know uh, Michael and, uh, or Michael, uh, Kiefer and uh, Jason Patrick both said that they hung out extensively throughout uh, the film. And uh, they have a hilarious uh, moment where they said that they had the prosthetics around their eyes uh, and their cheeks, and they left a lot, which was forbidden at the time, to go for lunch, and they stopped at a light, and they looked over at a woman, and the woman just goes, disgusting. (laughs) I tell you what, I wish I was around some of those after parties. Oh, my God. They got to be things of legends for sure, because Brooke McCarter was – was I think like an agent uh, for Corey Haim at the time. Him and Corey Haim had just recently met up, and, and Brooke was an uh, was a, a tr- you know a struggling actor was trying to get some acting gigs, and he he went on I think right around this time or a little after he ended up working for Corey as like his his talent agent a little bit. Would you have shotgun to beer with uh, Kiefer and Jason? I I mean I'm a I'm a Edgeman tried and true but if in 87 i don't know who knows what would happen wild shit i'm sure uh so um but yeah the lost boys is is such a obviously the soundtrack is is legendary as well i mean the the song the cry little sister song by uh by gerard mcmahon g tom matt mac I mean, it's a it's a legendary song. It's probably one of the most known and recognizable songs in horror movies, for sure. Like, when someone hears that song, I feel like they know it's from the Lost Boys. Yeah, I think that's... I think that's... I mean, that song, obviously, um, goes synonymously with the film. I think... I mean, that's what probably 90% of people know that song from, so... And they... Uh, G-Town Mac wrote the song after just reading the script. He wrote the song after reading the script, and that was all the context he had for writing the song. Hmm. That's, That's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, uh, so Jeff Bohm, who wrote the screenplay adapted from the two, uh, the two people that wrote it, uh, he actually has a has a connection with Lou Graham. Lou Graham obviously sung for Foreigner, but he was uh, he did the Lost in the Shadows song for this as a solo artist. Uh, him and Jeff Bohm are both from Rochester, I, I found out. There's a little Rochester, New York uh, connection there. No way, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty random, right? And, uh... But, uh, so in some of the deleted scenes, just little things I wanted to mention here before we wrap up... Uh, we see Max's apartment in the deleted scenes, and it's very neon. There's, like, neon signs everywhere, uh, and it looks like a very 80s uh, house. And I've, I said this about Max. Max looks like he was, like, the tour manager for the Cars or something. Yeah. yeah. Are er- Eric and Sean still here? Yes. Eric? I'm st- yeah, I'm still here. Oh, Okay. No one was saying anything. What was that thing I heard about the cars? Oh, I said, uh, I go, I said Max looks like he was the tour manager for the cars, kind (laughs) of. He does. He's very hip. Uh, But, yeah, the, uh, so the text, test, text, the uh, test screening, Joel Schumacher said when the film was done and they did uh, a test screening, Joel Schumacher compared it to being a rock concert. 
He said people were ripping the stuffing out of the seats, throwing it. They were screaming. They were hooting. They were hollering. They said there were 700 people in this L.A. theater, and he said it was insane. And it test screened, like, through the roof. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I think the movie has a very, uh, you know, rock and roll punk type vibe, I guess. So. And uh, some other things I wanted to mention before we, we get towards the, the wrapping up and what the movie made and things like that. Uh, ben Stiller had auditioned for a role. That was confirmed by Joel Schumacher that Ben Stiller, aud- not sure what role, but he auditioned for a role. Yeah, I was reading about that on uh, IMDb. And Jim Carrey was also considered. I don't think Jim Carrey ever auditioned, but Jim Carrey was considered for uh, a role in the film. Also undisclosed what that one uh, was as well. Just picture him for a second as David. I can picture I can, it a little bit. Me too. I don't know if I can picture him as David. I definitely can picture him as you know in the crew though. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. I have a few, uh, I just want to say now, I have a few no, final co- notes. No, go ahead, go ahead. This is where we get it all out. Because I, I'm sorry, anybody listening that seems like this was just like a, just a straight, complete rundown of the film, but that's what it was going to be. I wanted to talk about every aspect of this film, and I think we've done a pretty good job thus far. Albeit silent from Sean. I will s- so you mentioned when Kelly Jo Minter was brought up that yep. I would be excited about that. I am too. I'm just going to say she does deserve more respect. Um, We need to put more respect on her name. But (laughs) I do... I don't think her role in the movie was necessary. Like, you know what I mean? If they were going to do a two-hour cut, I always forget that she's in it. I should have said that a lot earlier, but I didn't. We're getting it out Um, now, man. We mentioned Diane Weiss winning in... Academy Award. It and that was, was for, for Hannah and her sisters, the the Woody Allen film that I have never heard of. <laughs> but isn't that I, isn't that so great though? She won for a film that none of us have ever heard of, but mm-hmm. we're talking about the Lost Boys, which she probably thought would just be like, yeah, it's a Warner Brothers payday. But yeah. I'm sure she didn't think that the movie she won an Academy Award for, guys in their 30s would not give a shit about that. But we love and revere and just talked for over two hours about the Lost Boys. Speaking of guys in their 30s, Jesse, I made a comment earlier about Sam still taking baths and immediately... Regretted it? Yeah, because <laughs> it's okay for men to wear to take baths at any age, at any sexual orientation. I support bath taking. I would, I would take a bath right now, but it's an inappropriate time. I, just I believe to point out that you said that Kelly Joe Minter should have some respect on her name. Yeah. Just want to point that out. I like that. So we've mm-hmm. done. I think we've covered her I entire film. You can finish in a second, but I think we've yeah. covered her entire filmography, which is this. People under the stairs. We just got to cover summer school, and that's her entire filmography, right? <laughs> um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, yes. <laughs> Five. Yeah. Um, people under the stairs. Popcorn. Oh, that's why you love her. You love popcorn. That's why. You picked, like, the last movie that I said and <laughs> focused on that. I'm just kidding. Um, I know you popcorn. and two other people are huge popcorn fans. Sam, I believe... I love popcorn. I'm just kidding. Jesus. Sam, I believe, is a projection of Joel. Because I've noticed in some of Joel Schumacher's films, there's some gay aspect. Because I believe... He, he was in the closet until, I think, 1997. Really? 
Yeah. Well, actually, I can't say in all his films because there's only three films I can think of where I'm Was like, Joel really in the closet for that long? Mm-hmm. Wow. I, didn't, I he guess was, I never realized that. He was outed by someone else, actually. I, I, I remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, so, yeah, I, I just think in this movie, maybe, this is my theory, that Sam was, like, a projection of whole, who Joel might have been as a kid. True. I can see um, that. And this is my personal opinion. We talked about who had the best hair earlier. Kiefer Sutherland obviously has the best hair. But personally for me, I like Billy Wirth's hair the best. That's the... if I was You can't have, go wrong with any of them. No, you can't. If I was to have long hair, I'd want it to be Billy Wirth's. I think I'd take Paul. Not his hair on my head, but like that hairstyle. Okay. Yeah. You should grow your hair out. Uh, it doesn't look like Billy Wirt. <laughs> so the movie had a budget of eight point five million. It made thirty two point two. So it made a healthy, uh, it made a healthy bunch, and it came out uh, same year. Obviously, Dick Donner was going to do it, uh, and just uh, just didn't have time, and had worked on it so long that he was disenchanted with doing it, and he wanted fresh eyes on it. He went on to direct uh, Lethal Weapon that came out the same uh, time frame. Uh, Lost Boys plays in the theater that shows in the Lethal Weapon movie as well. Mm. And uh, so uh, so this is a, something I always loved about it is, you know, it being called The Lost Boys, and it being, you know, uh, written by uh, a duo, you know, uh, Janice uh, Fisher and James Jermaine's, um, and adapted by, uh, Jeff Bohm. Uh, and it's, I always loved the, uh, the Peter Pan Lost Boys element, you know, the, ne- the, you know, the Lost Boys from the Peter Pan, the story of Peter Pan, where they never grow old, they never die, they go off to Neverland, you know, it's, that's a great, that's a great, uh, you know, symmetry, line of symmetry drawn between, you know, vampires and that age, age old story. Yeah, it's the- a- Clever uh, metaphor for a vampire movie. For sure. And hadn't been done up to that point. For sure. And it's... Uh, obviously, we got sequels to this, too. Uh, I like I like both the sequels for what they are. But, I mean, obviously, the original is the original. And it's it's the original for, the reason, for a reason. And uh, I do wish that we would have got Joel's proposed and his wished remake of the lost girls uh i wish we would have got that in like 91 i feel like that would have been sick but it wasn't meant to be unfortunately and uh let's hear uh let's hear the closing thoughts on uh the movie as a whole guys i mean like i know i kind of say this about a lot of the movies that we cover but most of the movies we cover there's a reason because they're super iconic but that's what I think of the Lost Boys. I think of arguably the most iconic vampire film outside of like the original, like Dracula, of course. But uh, uh, it bleeds '80s horror comedy. Um, so like a stacked uh, roster of people in this movie for sure uh, holds up. Obviously, super people uh, pay a lot of homage to it, as we saw in. Uh, and uh, us, you know, and stuff like that, where uh, people throw in uh, props to it. Um, by far, one of my favorite movies ever. One of my favorite vampire movies ever, if not my favorite. Um, 
and Kiefer Sutherland is a, is a legend. 100%. Sean, final thoughts on uh, the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys, uh, you know how much I talk during this podcast. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite vampire films. You know, it fucking bleeds 80s, super sexy. It gets you a what? What's sexy about it? Uh, the hair. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a very sexy movie. I I'm not saying it turns me on, but it was meant to be sexy. And you, mission you, accomplished. Let's not let's not let's cut through the crab cake here. Mission accomplished. I think I read that or something like Joel Schumacher said he yeah, wanted Joel, it to Joel be. Joel Schumacher said like vampires are sexy. Frankenstein is not. Didn't he make the characters older so that it could be like? So I talked about this in the first episode, but I, I I'll go through it again a little bit. So originally it was written as like a Goonies ask movie. There was supposed to be like preteens, early teens, like it was supposed to be a children's vampire film. So. With Joel on board, like, Dick Donner was going to do it originally, and he just got kind of wound up, and, and it got pushed to the side so many times that he said, I, I, I've made it so many times in my head that I can't bring anything fresh to it. i got to bring someone else in. So his wife suggested Joel, who came off St. Elmo's Fire. She really liked St. Elmo's Fire. It was a smash hit. They got Joel on board. Once Joel came on board, he was, like, open to it being, like, a Goonies with Fangs type movie. But after he decided that he needed Jason Patrick, Jason Patrick was not keen on doing a little kid's vampire movie. So Joel, I think, wanted to anyway, but him wanting Jason Patrick to be in the movie, he he had Jeff Bohm go and rework the script and make it more adult, make it a little older, make it that older teenage sexy type film. And that's what sold Jason Patrick on it after multiple times a week meeting with him for, a week, for I think, three weeks, Joel said, multiple times a week. And it sold him on it. And they gave they gave uh, Jason Patrick a little bit of leeway with this because he said, okay, well, I want Jamie Gertz to come. She should audition for the role of Star because they had just worked on Solar Babies together the year prior. And then, and then Jamie Gertz is on as Star. And if you don't know anything about Jamie Gertz, she is now a co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks NBA team. I think that's an interesting tidbit. So she's probably got more money than anyone that's worked that works on that film, right? That had worked on that film. And uh, but yeah, so uh, it became more adult once Joel came on and once he wanted Jason Patrick on it. So Jamie Gertz was in Twister. Jamie Gertz was one hundred percent in Twister. She was in Twister. She had a recurring character on Entourage for a little bit. Was she in that? What was that show that was called? Still Standing? I, I think I, I like that show. I think she was in that. Jamie Gertz, like, listen, Jamie Gertz will forever be known as Star to me. Uh, great portrayal on her part as Star, too. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, Brian. What are your, Brian, what are your uh, final thoughts here on uh, The Lost Boys? I guess I don't need to do the testimonial part of this with uh, with you guys. We're doing it right now. Well, it's one of my favorite vampire movies. It's one of my favorite horror comedies. I feel like I have nothing clever to say about it right now. But I think it's an amazing movie. It's an easy it's it's a movie that can be put on and you can enjoy it just as much the first time you watched it every single time. It reminds me of Eric, actually. Cuz you the know, low like man? Our, our brotherly bond. 
We used to watch it together. <laughs> One time, he went on a senior trip and came back with the Lost Boys on DVD as a gift for me. Nice. Um, what a guy. So it's always going to be tied in with my brotherly love for my brother. Perfect. Well, I'm going to give a big, long testimonial uh, reverend slash pastor Pedro speech on this uh, on our final episode when we're doing testimonials. We have a few different guests. We have Dan from Inked Up coming to speak on his thoughts on the film. We have Joey from Ninja Toidles coming on to talk about his thoughts on it because he is also a fan. And uh, maybe a few other surprise guests. Who knows? But we are going to have some people coming on for the third episode to talk about uh, a little, fan out a little bit. Their favorite pieces of uh, Lost Boy uh, memorabilia, if they have any, and uh, things like that. And I think I'm going to post some of my Lost Boys uh, posters slash little trinkets I may have. Maybe some t-shirts and uh, tag the makers and or creators. And, uh, and yeah, we're going to do some fan talk and some testimonials in episode three. And uh, I hope, hope you've enjoyed this uh Oh, two hour plus podcast on uh, the entire breakdown of the film. Uh, it's been a it's been a fun one. In uh, the Lost Boys, what a what a film! And uh, it's about it's only uh, only right that this episode was this long. I I thought it would be honestly perfect. I'm happy. I loved it. I'm happy with the length. I am too. See, you, got, you hear that? My wife wants to watch it now. She never says that about any any movie. This one's this one, Jen. You'll you'll appreciate it. It's very. I feel like this is a movie for anyone. I feel like anybody could watch this and enjoy. It. If Bridget can, if Bridget can watch it, and Bridget says she likes The Lost Boys, that says something, especially for any movie made in the eighties. See the the background of Bill Paxton's fiance and what she was up to before they met yeah there, there's your twister tie-in jen jamie gertz was in it so yeah watch it as a prequel it now, tells her story now now we got to look for all the 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 lost boys relations to uh twister there's got to be a couple more somewhere somewhere a lot down the line uh real quick before we wrap this up I think my favorite of all time poster art too, obviously. It's simple, but it's cool. I think it inspired the poster art that we commonly saw in the late nineties. Oh, for sure. Where the whole cast you had to get but yeah. they don't even have the Frog Brothers on there. They or, don't or Max or Lucy or Grandpa or Nanook. They had to get the Lost Boys on the Lost yes, Boys yes, poster. They had to get Jason Patrick on there. It was good. It's a great. It's a great cover. And we'll be back in a few days on the 33rd anniversary of the film to talk about some testimonials from some other fans and friends and some fan talk. Thank you again. We are on Instagram at Hardguy Media on Twitter at Hardguy Media. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify. Our host site is Anchor. Find us on Google Podcasts here, there, everywhere. And uh, you're a creature of the night, Michael. A goddamn shit-sucking vampire. You wait till mom finds out.
Shame. 